Good morning. The scripture this morning is um, found on page eight hundred and thirty-seven in your Bible pews or in your <laughs> in your pew Bible. The uh, the verses are uh, first uh, yeah, First Thessalonians chapter five, verses four to ten. First Thessalonians chapter five verses four to ten. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day may be a surprise may surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self controlled. But those who are, but those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting our faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. I want to remind you, if you are in any way some kind of leader in our church, whether you lead a small group or you are an elder or a staff member or whatever, and even if you're not, if you want to come uh, on Wednesday evening here at 7 p.m., we're going to have what we call a refresher session where we're going to talk about our mission and our vision and kind of where we're headed for the fall. And, and please, if you're in some kind of leadership position, if you make plans to be here on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, that would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, we would love for you to be here. I, uh, I take note that there are, well, there's at least one I know, a rather avid golfer in the crowd this morning. I know that Brian Moriarty golfs, okay? I know that uh, Curtis golfs. In fact, I've heard, Curtis, that you're a very good golfer. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never golfed with you, but I hear that that's true. So that's at least a possibility that we have one good golfer with us this morning. I'm not saying, of course, that Brian's not also a good golfer. I am, I'm just a so-so golfer, okay? Which means that sometimes when I'm golfing, the ball doesn't go exactly where I had planned for it to go. Uh, Robin and I have been spending the weekend up in the mountains, and so I was playing golf yesterday afternoon at Invermere, and the, the last hole... I hit one of my best drives of the day. It went right down the middle. It was just perfect. I'm probably uh, oh, 90 yards maybe from the pin, something like that, after my drive. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going you know, to par this one. And so my next shot, you know, I, think I, I think I pulled out a 9-iron. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll lift this up and drop it right next to the hole. So I swing. And I'm sure if, if you golf at all, you've done this. Instead of the ball going up, you know, where the, the blade of the club got under the ball and lifted it up really high in the air, instead, the edge of the club as it came down hit the ball, and it just went flat, as, like it went flat as could be, a worm burner, okay? I hit it quite hard, and so it went shooting right past the pin, all the way across the green, up the hill on the other side, and down in the water in the back, okay? It was not... The best shot of the day. Now, what does one do at that point? When they are preaching on self-control the next day. Okay? 
Now, I, I didn't take my club. Yeah, Curtis, I, yeah, Curtis says you do this. Okay? I didn't do that. Club's too expensive. So I didn't do that. I didn't throw it. I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said. Okay? I was just absolutely controlled on that one. Okay? But there were some times earlier during the day when I probably had not been as controlled. Now, I was better controlled than the person with whom I was golfing. You know this person. Okay? It's a female. I'm not married to her, but I see her every day. Okay? She works in the office next to me. But I don't want to tell you her name. You might figure it out. So she was having not as good a round as she would like. Okay? So there were times during the day when she would swing and the ball wouldn't go where she wanted to go. Sometimes she she swung her club and it didn't actually hit the ball, which was interesting too. And I'm just speaking the truth in love. Well, there was one point when I was quite close. I was in the sand trap and she was just a few feet away in the sand as well. I didn't hit mine particularly well, but at least I hit it. Okay? And she... Missed it twice. And then she sat down. She sat down in the sand. And she said, I'm done. And she wasn't going to play anymore the rest of the day. Now, we were able to convince her to continue to play golf. But for a moment there, I thought that maybe... No, never mind. I won't say her name. I thought for a moment there that she was going to absolutely lose control. She didn't. But you've seen those people do that. I've watched a video on YouTube of a fellow who the ball didn't go where he wanted to go. And so he took his club and he flung it as far as he could and it landed out in the middle of the lake. And I thought to myself, wow, that idiot. You know, that club probably cost 150 bucks and he just flung the thing into the lake. And then he grabbed his bag with the rest of his clubs and he threw those in the lake as well. Right after it. Well, he also was not as controlled as he should be. Now, golf may not be the point at which you lose it. But there probably is something in your life at which you occasionally lose it. If you're David Bailey, maybe it's a tractor that won't start. <laughs> like Faye is just almost on the verge of giggling. Okay, She's probably seen this. And all of you probably have something that just gets under your skin. Some of that is fine. I don't, I don't think there's a huge problem if, uh, if David gets a little bit put out at his tractor someday. But you know and I know that there are some things in life about which God would like us to be much better controlled than we are. And if you think about it, the whole notion of the loss of self-control oftentimes has something very specific to do with sin in our lives. And so, for example, there is no doubt someone here who is addicted to something. And you know that this thing to which you're addicted has control over you rather than you having control over it. Now, the one that seems to come to mind an awful lot these days, and I don't mind mentioning it, uh, you know, being kind of out in front with this one, because it is so prevalent, is the whole notion of pornography. 
not going to go into that word a whole lot today. We've got little ears with us today. But nonetheless, you know that that is a problem in our society, a huge problem in our society. And I've mentioned before that it's not just a problem with men. The number of women who have a struggle with that issue is not only significant, but on the rise. And you just wonder, where is this going to go if people can't get a grip on their lives in this area? And if it's not that particular sin or problem, then it might well be for you something else. And that's not God's desire for humankind. God doesn't want us to be controlled in our lives, ultimately by anything except his will for you. And so when we talk in scripture about self-control, we're certainly not talking about self-will. We're not talking about people just wanting to have what they want in themselves. But we're talking instead about Being controlled in yourself enough so that God dwells within you fully. That's what we really want, is for God to dwell within you fully. So that God, in you, has control over the things over which you need to have control because His Spirit is in you producing that kind of control. Now, this is not just a minor issue in Scripture. There are several places in which we find this particular issue talked about. So, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, and respectable. What's interesting to me about this one is that it has specifically to do with the life of a leader. With one who is leading the flock. And God wants those who are leaders in his church to be self-controlled men. Those who have a handle on the difficulties that may run their lives. God wants to be running their lives. God wants his spirit to be running their lives. And for that to be the control over them ultimately. For Titus chapter 1 verse 8, which interestingly again is in the context of discussion about leaders. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Well, that means that in the two lists of qualifications or identifying marks for those who lead within the Lord's church, both in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, self-control is specifically mentioned as one of those elements that needs to be there in the life of a leader. Which makes me think, of course, that God desires this for all men and women. As they move forward in their life in Christ, if being the kind of person who could ultimately serve as an elder in the Lord's church as a vision for all, then being self-controlled is something that should control us all. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, we use that scripture and that quotation in all kinds of ways. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. But here specifically it says, be self-controlled and alert. And clearly, Peter has in mind the fact that Satan wants to do something with your level of self-control. He would like to have you have no control. And in fact, it sounds as though... This is not just a neutral thing 
but there is a forcing of his will upon you. Like Satan is after you to try and make it so that you're not as controlled as you should be in various ways in your life. And so whether it's an anger problem or a drug problem or pornography, Satan wants to find those things in your life where he can work on your heart and your mind and tempt you so that you become out of control. He wants you as a person out of control and certainly not controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit isn't controlling you, that's exactly when you're open to the possibility of either yourself, which is, of course, deadly, or Satan himself having a significant impact on your ability to control those things in your life that need to be controlled. And you can't fulfill God's will for your life. You can't be what God wants you to be when that kind of control is lacking within you. Now, we're studying, of course, the fruit of the Spirit. And this comes as the last fruit of the Spirit or element of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But that's not the only place in Scripture where this element comes in as a key uh, component in the character and, and a, even the list of descriptions of what a person is supposed to be in Christ. And so, for example, this passage, if I put it in there. Oh, I didn't. Sorry. This one I want you to turn to. Second Peter chapter 1. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. I wanted everybody to look at this. If you look first at verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So he says, we have everything we need. Now that means, I think, that if God has provided us with everything we need for life and godliness, that there really isn't an excuse for me to remain without self-control. Because he wants to provide me through his power the ability for me to control myself. Then look down at verse 5. For this very reason, after he has talked about all the good things God has done for us, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So there is progression here that's supposed to happen. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And of course, it always ends up with love as the ultimate virtue. But in the middle of that, following right on the heels of knowledge, comes the notion of self-control. It's one thing for us to know something. It's one thing for us to have some indication of godliness in our minds. It's another thing for that to come out in our actions. And so Peter moves here from an intellectual understanding of what we're supposed to do and think to what we're supposed to actually do. He wants us to actually behave in such a way. And notice how this list, in many cases, kind of parallels and replicates the fruit of the Spirit. These are virtues that need to be part of our lives, developed in the same way that the fruit of the Spirit is developed.
Now, I'm going to tell you something this morning that I think for those of you who in any way wrestle with self-control in whatever way that is, whether it's your anger or an addiction, I'm going to show you something this morning that I think is one of the most significant things that you will ever see or understand from Scripture. So I want you to turn, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If somebody's in a pew Bible, what page is that on, please? 800? 800. Romans chapter 8. Now, one of the things that is characteristic of humankind is that from the beginning, ever since the fall, we have had a part of that which makes us up, our constituency, we have had part of us, the sinful nature. It happened from the beginning. There was that first horrible sin. And from that point, human nature was changed. So that when you and I come out of the womb, there is something about us that gravitates towards sinfulness. And that's just the human condition. And I would say that that human condition that is part of us, that sinful nature... That which is so susceptible to hearing what Satan has to say makes us especially vulnerable to those things that would prevent in us self-control, those things that would control us. And what I want to say today and what I'm going to say through the Apostle Paul is simply the fact that we don't have to, nonetheless, be controlled by the sinful nature. That instead, God's Spirit can control us, and that rather than be controlled by Satan and his will or by the sinful nature that's in us, that we can actually triumph over sin, even those ones that you think in your life have got a hold of you. And so if you're thinking today, man, I have tried so hard to get rid of blank. I want so badly to be different in this way. I want to show you today That you are not stuck. That there is the possibility of you overcoming in your life that which has control of you rather than you having control of it. And so look at chapter 8 and I'll begin with verse 1. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life... Set me free from the law of sin and death. So there was a law of sin and death. It had control over you. But through Christ, the law of sin and death is eradicated. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And so if the spirit takes up residence in your life and you begin to live according to the spirit, something has changed. 
The sinful nature does not have the same presence or power in your life that it used to have because the Holy Spirit has taken up resonance. Something new and different has become part of you. And you, in fact, have been transformed. Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on that what that nature desires. Okay, so those who live according to the sinful nature have the sinful nature's mind. There is a controlling factor there that's not you, at least not the you that God has created, but the you that was destroyed, in a sense, by the fall. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, and when he says you, however, he's talking about Christians. He's not talking about the Christians that are successful at doing this. He's talking about Christians in general. He's making a statement about the new nature, the transformation that has taken place in the life of those who've given themselves to Jesus. And he's saying this is available to all who've given themselves to Jesus. This is not for some. This is for all who've given themselves to Christ. If you're a Christian, this is you. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And my question would be, does the Spirit of God live within those who have given themselves to Christ? And the answer is, Heather's nodding her head, she's exactly right. Those who have come to Jesus, those who are Christians, have been given the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit has been given to you by God, just exactly the way Paul promises, then there is a new nature, the possibility for a new mind, for things to be completely different in you than they have ever been before. And the biggest problem with Christians, I think, today is simply the fact that they don't recognize this. They don't realize what it is that has happened to them. We're still waiting for it. God, change me. Make me new. And all the while, God is saying, that's exactly what I've done. And so this is not a case of us trying to achieve something or to live something new out. We're trying to live out what we are. God has already made us this. It's a matter simply of us becoming what it is that he has made us. You, are not, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And in Christ, he does. Now it says, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So do you belong to Jesus? Then you have the spirit of Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So you think to yourself, well, my body doesn't allow me to transcend whatever it is that's controlling me. My sinful body keeps doing this. And I'm controlled by that, whatever that sin is. But Paul says that the spirit is going to be controlling the body rather than the body making choices for the spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit lives within you, the Holy Spirit can have control over even your own body and make you do things 
that you can't do on your own, but can only do because God lives within you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, Christians, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Meaning that the mortal body, our behaviors, can be completely transformed by the presence of the spirit within us. Ultimately meaning a new body, a completely new body, at the end... On that great day when God gives us a new body through Jesus. And so, if you think to yourself, I can't control this. Well, you're exactly right. You can't. Paul says that the the mortal body, without the presence of the Spirit, can't transcend itself. We, We can't become something we're not. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, everything is different. A transformation has taken place. And so I'm no longer who I was. You know this language of Paul's. There was an old man. He died. There is a new man in Christ who is made alive. And this is exactly who we are. We are these new people in Jesus And so, whether it's throwing golf clubs into the lake, or it is screaming at the driver who just cut you off, or it is being snippy with your wife of 40 years just because that's your habit, or if it's internet pornography, if it is the inability to tell the truth. There are, as you know, so many things that control our lives in negative ways. These do not have to control you. You have been created anew. The Spirit lives within you. There is a power there present and available to you in your life for you to be something other than what you are in the flesh. And we, we have the opportunity, I want to say responsibility, but we have the opportunity to accept and believe this truth about who we are in Christ. And as these new people, we can indeed be Self-controlled as the new self in Jesus controls that old self of the sinful nature. Giving us power like we never had before. Now it's possible that you might question this. Or it's possible that you'll go on from here and maybe not see the control over these things that you would like to see in your life. Let me just encourage you to do something. If you have something in your life that absolutely controls you, an addiction, some kind of problem that you can't overcome, let me encourage you to, in some way, seek help in overcoming that. And when I say help, I mean spiritual guidance to help the Holy Spirit come and work within you. I would be glad to have you give me a call. I know our elders would be glad to have you give them a call. 
And we don't, in, in our society, we don't comfortably confess our sins. In our society, we don't comfortably say to one another, here's the problem I'm having. I can't overcome this. We're so afraid that that person we're telling this to is going to think badly of us. We're so afraid they're going to look down on us, that they're going to judge us. Let me tell you, after working with our elders for the last five years, they're not going to judge you. Let me tell you that I have enough sin in my own life, I have no business judging anybody else. And I have heard lots and lots of times from many people the sins in which they are trapped. And so it's very unlikely you're going to come to me and say, yeah, wait do you hear my story? And I'm going to be shocked. There's a sense in which I've heard all of that. Find someone with whom you can enlist assistance in overcoming the difficulty that you struggle with that keeps you from being self-controlled. That person can pray with you, share that burden with you. Paul tells us specifically in Galatians chapter 6 that we're supposed to share our burdens one with another. Lift each other up. And that takes courage, I know. But new life in the Spirit by enlisting someone's help in overcoming sin, is so superior to staying wallowing in that mire. So let me encourage you to take the practical step of enlisting someone's help. Find someone spiritual. Find someone that you know who has the ability to pray with you and give you sound spiritual advice. And ask that person to enlist Enlist them in getting, getting their help in overcoming the difficulty with which you struggle. And God will use that person to bless you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I have no doubt, but there, there are people here today who are controlled by various things that are not of you. And Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to have the courage to take the steps necessary to move away from those things that are controlling us and toward life in you. Father, I have every confidence that your spirit has been placed within us as children of yours to empower us to overcome the sin that is within our lives. And so, God, just I pray you bless people with strength today through the presence of your spirit. In the cases where it's needed, I'd pray that you'd help them to seek someone out, to enlist help, so that another Christian could pray with them and lift them up and strengthen them. Help us to take that step or whatever step is needed, God, in order for your spirit to work within each of us to help us overcome our sins and those things that control our lives. Help us, Father, instead simply to be controlled by you and your spirit. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.